Hi, everyone, and welcome to the RegTech Report, your update on all things RegTech. My name is Carl Viertel, and with me is Stefan Celestio. Our mission is to bring you the latest news, speak with industry pioneers, and muse about the latest tech. All right. Hey, Stefan. Welcome back. Hey there, Carl. Back, back in this room here after a while. Yeah, it's uh, been a while since we've actually recorded together in this room. But, uh, yeah, good to be back. And I think we have a, a really cool show today um, or a really cool pod. Um, I thought we were going to talk about ESG risks a little bit. ESG? What's that? Is that like the European Song Contest or something like that? Yeah, exactly that. Um, uh, Ten points to Denmark. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, an old topic that I actually thought was uh, – not going to be on the agenda for 2021, but I thought we need to talk about data residency. Um, and we've got some cool news and, of course, a great top three. But um, look, to start out, um, ESG. Um, so uh, environmental, um, uh, social and governance risks. Um, it's A couple of years ago, there was this other acronym like CSR. It's now maybe a bit of a rebranding. So I think CSR would be a subset of ESG. Okay, okay. I can live with that. But uh, Corporate social responsibility for those. Correct. But I'm not one – so I'm not an expert yet. I will um, uh, give that disclaimer to our listeners. Okay, come on. That never stopped us before. (laughs) That That is very true. But uh, look, I think um, one thing is is that I don't think there are very many people that are actually um, experts on managing ESG risks. So I think um, from what I've read and from what I've learned, there are a lot of requirements out there. A lot of regulators are saying, oh, it needs to be part of your operational risk management. And uh, uh, there are some German laws that require some ESG reporting. Um, but it seems to me like there hasn't been a whole lot of thinking into the how. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we uh, in the past, we talked about like overall, like uh, environmental sustainability topics also, right? I mean, this this is something that is becoming more real for a lot of people. And uh, for sure, one one risk you always have is with, with increasing regulation. It's similar like any other compliance topic that if you're not following it and not showing a... Uh, a, um, an effective uh, management system about it that that increases your risk of being fined. That is actually, and my first question is the S social or sustainability because I've seen both. <laughs> hmm. I, I guess it depends on who's, who's talking about. It. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean the sort of the the methodology that um uh, for example the world, world economic forum put forward in their um uh, global risk report and i think that makes a lot of sense is sort of thinking about these mega trends right so trying to think about what are the big things that will impact humanity over the next 3 5 10 20 years um and then sort of deduct um relevant risks from there um actually a fairly exciting and interesting Approach, I think. Yeah, uh, I mean, there are some things that uh, where you can see the um, um, the things like the, the shadow, basically the foreshadowing of it happening for quite a while. Uh, for quite a while, the, I mean, mega trends. I like the like the the name actually, because those are, I guess, in some ways, kind of inescapable, and um, and it makes sense to break down what it what does it actually mean for you specifically. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the the interesting aspects of um, sort of thinking about these megatrends is that they can go both ways, right? We 
if you say ESG risks, everyone thinks of climate change and basically if the um, ocean levels rise, then will my house be underwater, right? But ESG is so much broader and I think ES, uh, the uh, the thinking of them in megatrends also leads you inevitably to the thought process of saying, well, yes, there might be risks, but there actually also might be opportunities, right? So if you Absolutely. think of um, – uh, you know, values that are significantly changing in the population, then, you know, there are some people whose business models will benefit from that and others, of course, that are faced with significant risks. So it is a bit of a different, I'd say, methodology or approach than pure operational risk management. Yeah, I just remembered a um, conversation I had um, a couple of years ago back at the, when we were spending more time in London back in 2017. Um, where, um, somebody was saying, like, um, some, some people are buying up land in, in the UK because they're expecting, like, uh, that is suitable for, um, creating vineyards because they're expecting, like, with climate change <laughs> yeah. in the next decades that the UK will be, like, a prime location for wines. So, yeah. So I have heard of people trying to do decent pinots in the UK. Um, uh, obviously, uh, I, don't I haven't tried enough to say if it works or not. <laughs> Maybe it's also too early. Yet, <laughs> the changes are just starting. Yeah, I mean it's um it's definitely an, an area to watch. Um I mean I've um been working with the team here a little bit to um uh, develop some thinking around that for a line. Uh I think it's it's definitely going to be a really exciting uh, product. And I actually had a, uh, a session with uh, Felix and Max last Friday and just sort of the creativity, the thought process of analyzing these megatrends, trying to figure out, you know, wh what do we need to um, uh, consider from, you know, everything from um, environmental hazards right up to um, personal um, air travel uh, with uh, drones and all the rest of it. It's uh, it's a really cool idea. And I think, uh, you know, creating sort of that first baseline, that first framework that makes sense, that is really usable in real life and can produce some some uh, interesting data is going to be a, a real game changer. Yeah, and it's it's probably very useful to kind of do this evaluation of what kind of risks or versus opportunities to have. And just to come back a little bit to the thought, I mean, the, every time you have some kind of shift in the basic fundamentals, there's always... Um, a chance for something new um, and um, I mean can be anything can be the environmental things can be technology shifts um, I think we've, we've all seen seen it in the last months yeah um, so it's not just a pessimistic uh, apocalyptic view right I mean, it can be also <laughs> well as uh, uh, Michael Rasmussen likes to say the Star Trek future the Blade Runner future <laughs> Um, but from something uh, new to something very old, um, Stefan, I'd like to uh, bring up the topic of data residency. Um, it's honestly, I thought in 2021, we wouldn't be talking about this anymore. Um, so data residency, obviously um, a core element for a lot of regtech companies out there um, and also for a lot of customers of regtech. So you leverage a product that will most likely be in the cloud. The question is, where is your data? Yeah, physically, where it is. Physically, yeah. where is your I mean, data? That's, that's the thing. I mean, personally, I like to be a resident. You know, it's better <laughs> to be a resident somewhere than not. But it's, it's, it is, uh, for me, it's a sign of that a lot of this kind of legal view um, 
that is coming a lot out of this nation state concept, which is maybe um, not super appropriate anymore for the times anyway, but um, that um, relies a lot on this physical, uh, this concept of physicality. And it breaks down with a partly cyberspace virtual world we have now. Um, and um, nobody came up with something better so far. Yeah. Um, so I think that's maybe also what's driving it, right? People are try kind of st trying to cling to something they know, even though it doesn't really, really work um, in a lot of ways in, 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 yeah. in today's circumstances. But I, I agree. But I think the or what's um, what I'm observing is probably two two elements here. So one um, is on the legal side, right? So. Um, and I know that you've uh, been sort of keeping up with the discussion on basically the uh, um, the EU privacy shield um, or the lack thereof, so to speak. Um, and uh, on the other hand, um, we also have this question around is um, do I still want my own tenancy? Do I basically want to actually avoid public cloud infrastructure going forward, um, where I honestly thought in 2021, this wouldn't be a discussion anymore because mm -hmm. we would be focused on the security, on the protection measures, on the shared responsibility models, and not on this old topic that I thought we had moved moved past. But now it seems like it's popping up more and more. So maybe you can talk us through um, to start out with the legal side. Yeah, I mean, something that, um, that did happen is this uh, kind of... Um, Case, like cases before the European Court of Justice that um, challenged various aspects of especially the uh, relationships between the EU and the US in terms of um, yeah, privacy, right? And um, that makes it a bit difficult to operate in a world where um, often you have service providers who, have, who are located in the US or are incorporated there. Um, and it creates a situation where people like... Uh, Coming back to what I was saying before, um, maybe start trying to cling to this. Ah, if it's maybe if it's located within the EU, I don't have to worry about it. But um, often case, um, if you dig down into it, like if you have some, for example, uh, like if you have people accessing it from another jurisdiction, then those could be compelled, right, to um, reveal something and um, then make the Maybe the legal framework's a bit uh, ineffective, uh, and that's not that's actually not easy to solve because on the one hand it's something that, like the goals people had with GDPR, um, are like if if you can't fully exercise uh, data subject rights, then it becomes a bit of a useless thing. <laughs> but that's the, that's the thing that uh, there's actually no real way to make that effective right now. So maybe we do have to think a bit about um, um, like what does that actually mean as a um, like maybe a post GDPR thing, even I don't know, but um, um, it's uh, it's a complicated situation right now, and uh, that's in complicated situations people try to simplify the world, right? And that's I think something that that is happening there. Yeah, and then maybe the the second element, yeah. right? Sort of the um, public cloud versus um, single tenant or some sort of hosted, whatever it might be. So sort of avoiding this, I'm going to say feeling of uh, my data being ex uh, potentially exposed. When, why do you think that's becoming a concern, thought, a thing again? Mm -hmm. 
have a hypothesis about that. I'm not sure if it's really true, but um, one thing that uh, people who have been like spending time on this have always said it's um, there's a technology part of it, right? Uh, but uh, in the end, it's it's more it's different trade-offs. Uh, it's different ways you're protecting. Um, you have to protect your own stuff um, in a private versus a more public infrastructure. And in the end, it's also you, you need a different organization, different people to manage um, this. And mm. um, I think what um, some have realized over the last years that they um, – like the the way they organize their teams, the 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 skills they have, and that and and the people have not kept up with the technology development, and that's maybe also why they're um, trying to kind of a bit like reverse the the um, the clock there a little bit and go back to uh, the IT department basically that um, controls the things. Uh, but in many ways, it's probably an illusion that that is actually better. Um, so I mean, what's yeah. your projection? Is this basically a little blip of I don't know, some multiple uh, factors coming together that this is just being talked about? Is it just maybe our bubble? Or do you think that this is actually a consistent trend that people are going to look at more hosted private environments for their cloud applications? I guess it depends a bit on the particular bubble, right? I mean, if you're, if you're starting out new, if you're building something on the greenfield, you probably wouldn't use those um, architectural paradigms anymore. But if you still have some, and people like carry around the legacy um, infrastructure quite, quite a long time, there's probably still some IBM mainframes standing around somewhere, and they're probably still selling new ones um, for for some legacy applications. And that's where you kind of don't really have a choice but to actually do it that way. Um, so uh, I think it it kind of the, maybe the the, the technology um, like the the um, life cycle shift is a bit longer. Than people were actually expecting on this, but it is a question of time. Um, mm. um, some things will, it will be less and less, right? Um, and um, everything that's that's new, I think, it's not really um, a question of this anymore. It's all yeah. about legacy. Yeah, look, it, it's. Uh, I, as I mentioned earlier, I'm still surprised that we're actually still having this conversation in 2021. But you know, clearly, um, as an industry, we certainly haven't. Um, provided apparently sufficient answers for it to be solved. So, you know, that's the reality that we have to face. And uh, we need to be able to demonstrate that we believe our architecture that are so for those of you that don't know, we're a multi-tenant SaaS. So obviously, you know, we're great proponents of that architecture solution. But, you know, it's it's our obligation, I guess, to um, uh, convince our customers of uh, the merit of that. Yeah, and it's, it's, often, it's often just about explaining it, right? I mean, if you're not used to a certain different way of doing it, then um, maybe the first gut reaction is to kind of say, oh, can we do rather do it the way we are used to? And if you actually explain the details in, you know, like 99.9% of the cases, then that's fine. Um, so... <laughs> I think how we've done it the last years and how we will continue. And uh, maybe to uh, uh, bring an example now in the news um, where uh, essentially a hosted environment would uh, have certain or a multi-tenant SaaS environment would uh, not have exposed uh, this weakness um, is the uh, exchange hack Um Exciting stuff, to be honest. Yeah, I'm, I'm honestly a bit surprised that it's um, that it has so much mind share. I thought it would actually be a non-issue, but apparently it's not. Um, and uh, I guess that comes back to what we were talking about earlier, that some things were is actually not progressing as fast as I thought, because I thought most 
they kind of pretty much everybody shifted to Office 365 by now and the uh, related infrastructure. Yeah. But apparently there's still lots of stuff out there running um, in unpatched versions because you uh, actually um, – Often it's not something like out of malice, right? That they don't want to. They often they can't for various reasons, maybe because they have some out of out of support, like all old other stuff that's integrated. And um, if they updated it, it wouldn't work anymore. I mean, the undeniable fact is that it is the uh, it's. I mean, we're not that far into 2021, mm. and this is, I think, the third major um, government-sponsored cyber attack that the uh, U.S. government has. Uh, has uh, documented and uh, declared. So, you know, I think the um, the cyber warfare element of this uh, of this attack is uh, pretty significant. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we're still talking about this kind of state sponsor attacking as the like ultimate uh, ultimate um, uh, end level boss, right? But uh, I think it's also like the the means of doing that are. Uh, there's also technology shift uh, happening where probably more and more um, the capabilities of the private enterprise, let's say, uh, let's call them like that, are actually catching up fast. So um, uh, often it's uh, also the the borders are not that clear. Sometimes it's like can be slightly a bit of both. Yeah, I mean, I was um, on this. I was listening to uh, Pod Save the World and uh, Ben Rhodes, so who used to be the uh, or a security advisor for uh, President Obama, was uh, basically reflecting on. Uh, you know how the Biden administration should address this, and you know I think uh, a really interesting point that they were that uh, Ben was making is basically saying it can't be that every time there is this attack and it's the third or so attack that um, they're now discussing, you can't be in the situation room reacting to it. The other question is what is a proportionate response um, from a nation-backed atta- uh, cyber attack, and uh, I've what is the solution? Because the solution can't be, and this is sort of his point, that, for example, the NSA um, hosts or manages every exchange server in the U.S. As, in order to uh, um, secure the uh, the national technology infrastructure. Yeah, and if they, if they have to, like, um, do all those special requirements of everybody, they would have exactly the same problem, right? <laughs> um, it's not like if you – I mean, it's, it's – uh, uh, you, you just change like NSA to Microsoft and the service that's already out there, right? Um, that can, people could use. Um, so a, uh, a strong endorsement of the, uh, software as a service model. Well, I mean, for sure they're not waiting on, on patching the, the systems, right? I mean, that's the big advantage. Yeah. You, there's a trade offs. You can't like, it's a, it's a, um, it's a large scale service that they won't change like for your every little whim. So you have to live with that and maybe work around that. But that's maybe how, uh, like anybody who knows anything about like big IT projects knows, okay, the more you like try to, um, 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 yeah, manipulate the software to like, to do what, like is already there, the more problems you have down the line. It's maybe okay in the, in the beginning, but like if you think back, think, uh, about a couple of years later, like any kind of upgrade will be hell. Yeah. And, um, that is, that is what's happening here. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, uh, exciting times. I mean, we're still seeing sort of an IT of two speeds. Um, you still have a lot of things that look a lot like IT did 15 years ago and a lot of organizations that are absolutely doing cutting edge stuff. And yeah, even sometimes in the same organization, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that's, but that was like a couple of years ago. That was like this two speed IT. That was this big buzzword, wasn't it? I mean, that, and that's yep. what everybody started doing. 
um, to not lose uh, also all the opportunities that are out there. Well, to keep with the uh, whole corporate email thing, uh, are you ready for a top three on that? Yeah, let's do it. Hey. Hey. Oh. Top yeah. three, 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 three. <laughs> <laughs> It's the top three. So I thought we might go um, uh, go back and think about sort of our uh, corporate email days um, <laughs> and uh, oh, recount our, our top three fails. <laughs> and um, I will say that uh, uh, we love Slack, so we try to not write uh, emails at all to each other internally. Um, so this is a bit of a blast from the past. Um, uh, I mean, maybe I can uh, start with uh, with my uh, number three fail uh, in corporate email. Um, and uh, I'd say for me, it's uh, email footers. Um, so, and I found the worst are law firms. Mm -hmm. So they send you an email and basically you get two pages of contract that you supposedly agreed to <laughs> one, by simply receiving an email that someone yeah. sent to you. Um, and ideally, this is also an email chain of uh, 52 emails before that. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Oh, and uh, as to my email from last Monday, and then you go 23 emails down and through mm -hmm. their various disclaimers. So um, the, the email footer is my corporate uh, email fail. <laughs> Yeah, now, nowadays, uh, a lot of the email servers are good in kind of like um, collapsing that stuff, right? But sometimes it doesn't work and it still shows you, like, depending on their email layout, it still shows you all that stuff. And then, uh. Just a very quick side note on that. Um, from a friend at PwC, when they migrated from Lotus to mm -hmm. Gmail, um, Gmail collapses them very, very differently. And apparently there were some very sensitive and embarrassing issues of people replying to the wrong email in the chain. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> You're number three, Stefan. Yeah, related maybe uh, based on uh, footers. Uh, um, um, sometimes you see it now nowadays people have this, yeah, send from my iPhone or something like that. But it used to be a big status symbol, like when it said, send from my BlackBerry. <laughs> and you might still have that here and there. Maybe that's I'm still sure there's there. one guy out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and people were like so serious about this little touch point thingy that it was on the BlackBerry where you could like be super fast and scrolling up and down. But, <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Um, yeah, look, my number two, um, has to be the, uh, obnoxious out of office m uh, message. Um, my favorite one is also, uh, the, I will not be reading messages and I will read maybe upon my return. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we all used to do it, right? And, uh, like even put them, uh, put, put them on when, when we were on vacation after a while in my last corporate job, I, I, I made it a point to like try to come up with something funny where people would actually comment on it later. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. True. I've, I, I don't even know where the functionality is now in our email service, but, um, I know that somewhere it's there, but, um, yeah, it's kind of useless. Yeah. Um, Your my, number two? My, my number two is, um, in the days before the cloud. And probably for all those people with on-prem exchanges still, um, the storage was expensive, right? So uh, they limited the mailbox size and not to something useful, but maybe to something like 200 megabytes, which is nowadays maybe a day's worth of email. <laughs> yep. And then what are you doing on Friday? Oh, I'm cleaning up my inbox. Yeah, yeah cleaning <laughs> inbox, archiving, uh, 
or like some like what I, what did I do? Like you had you could you were able to in Outlook you cr uh, could create these uh, separate PSD files on your local hard disk and then just move them all over not out of the server. So you but still if have you made the them too large, they would crash. Yeah. So you need several that you archive. Yeah, it's it's usually a good Friday's activity. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, look, my number one uh, corporate email fail has to be the recall function. Yeah, that's really the so best. you made a mistake, and the recall is basically the biggest possible spotlight you could shine on that mistake. And most of them were just excellent. And, like, if you want everyone to absolutely drop what they're doing and read your email, you should immediately recall it. Yeah, and it's, it's, I think it's, it's a misunderstanding from people who don't understand like even a single bit of how email works <laughs> and that that is basically client-side function from, only from Outlook. So uh, it's basically not the server that's doing that. It's basically yep. your, your, like the recipient's Outlook local client when they see that mail is removing the email. So if you don't open the recall email, it doesn't remove the, one, the <laughs> other one. So it's pretty easy to... Or you even have two emails with the original email and then um, Stefan would like to recall the email mm -hmm. that he previously sent. So yeah. it is... It, I mean, whoever came up with this function, I mean, kudos. It is just marvelous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's some big story about it at Microsoft from the product team about that. Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, my number one, uh, my all time favorite, and it can still happen, uh, nowadays is, um, this tendency of everybody to always click reply all, you know, and uh, sometimes <laughs> even add more people to the distribution <laughs> list. And then you have more and more people. And then sometimes, um, um, in big com in big companies, you might sometimes have these email lists that have really thousands and thousands or tens of thousands of people on there. And, um, Yeah, there were cases when somebody, like, and they were not access limited. Everybody could send to it, right? <laughs> and then uh, you have these emails where somebody accidentally sent something like that. And then you have hundreds of emails afterwards of everybody just writing, don't, please don't hit reply all. We are all getting these responses. <laughs> and then, of course, your 200 megabyte inbox is full and you can't do any work anymore. So I remember one cascade in Accenture where I think it was analysts all and consultants all yeah, or something. Yeah, it was something like, like uh, 50,000 people. And I think what, what killed the global exchange server was that it was shortly before the um, uh, Football World Cup and then I remember a French guy basically said, ah, yes, and then you Englishmen will lose or something <laughs> and then it was basically game over <laughs> uh, good times all right look uh, uh, absolutely a blast from the past um, I think we should introduce it and somehow uh, limit our, our inboxes to 200 <laughs> I'll check out the, if there's a setting like that and look maybe we can uh, uh, do the same for uh, slack fails because let's face <laughs> it there are slack fails too um Look, but with that, um, thanks for uh, for joining. Thanks for uh, uh, your contribution, Stefan. And uh, what else am I going to do? This is, you know, the main task. Here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, look forward to hearing you all soon on our next pod. Thanks for listening. Let's continue the conversation on Twitter. Follow our dedicated podcast handle at the Regtech Rep. Make sure to rate this podcast and send your thoughts and comments to the Regtech Report at Align.com. Once again, that's the Regtech Report at Aline.com. You can also follow Align on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter, or catch up on our podcasts on Align.com slash the Regtech Report. <laughs>